Gitten Perik Aleph, Mishnah Vav 1 6, the last of Perik, and we continue to enumerate the uh, ways in which a get for a divorce or emancipation of a slave is different than other kinds of contracts. We actually have two different topics here in our Mishnah. One will talk about the topic of Zechia, and the other one will talk about the Matnas Shchiv Meira, both of which I'll explain in turn. First, I'll talk about Zechia. So, Zechia, the principle of what's called Zachin Adam Shlobafanov, not translating, but means that if Reuven wants to give something to his friend Shimon, but Shimon's not present, and if he gives it to Levi instead to acquire on behalf of Shimon, so as soon as Levi acquires it, he gets a hold of it, he picks it up, so then that automatically makes the object now Shimon's possession. In other words, Levi is acquiring it on behalf of Shimon. And the truth is, and we don't even need a Reuven in the story, even if just Levi would pick something off with the ground that he found, then he intends to acquire it on behalf of Shimon, that would also work. That's called Zechia. According to Rashi, it works through a principle of Shlichus, making an agent, and the idea is that anybody who's getting a benefit and getting something would, although it's not spoken out, tacitly he would approve of, in this case, Levi being his his agent to acquire it on his behalf. Others learn, other Rishonim learn that Zechia isn't through Shlichus, that's its own mechanism all to itself. Whatever the case is, the point is that Zechia works, um, acquiring on behalf of another person, provided that, that it's to the person's benefit. If there is some elements of benefit, but other material detriments that are included in this acquisition, so then there's no way to know that Shimon would consent to Levi acquiring his bath. Maybe Shimon doesn't want it after all. And therefore, when there's an element of detriment, so then... Zechia doesn't work. There has to be an explicit explicit authorization from Shimon to authorize Levi to acquire these rights or obligations, whatever it is, on his on his behalf. Now, um, the jargon, Talmudic jargon, Mishnahic jargon is Zachin Adam Shalobafanov, which literally means you're able to acquire something on someone's for someone else's benefit without him being present, although his presence isn't the issue. Really, it's Shalobafanov means, not literally, but it means... Um, without his consent, his pre-authorization. And on the other hand, you're not allowed ein chavin. You can't do something to someone's detriment, ele befanov, unless it's literally in front of him, but you know what that means, with his consent, with his authorization. So that being the case here, our mission is going to discuss the case in which uh, Reuven's married. He gives something, let's say a get for starters, um, to Shimon to... Um, deliver the get to his wife. So if it were to her benefit, so then we'd say Zechia. It would work as soon as Shimon gets a hold of the get. It would be good for the woman. So then uh, it would be hers already. Just if he said, here, give this $100 to my wife. As soon as Reuven gives to Shimon, Shimon takes $100, now it becomes the wife's automatically. But that's not the case with the get, because the get is not to her benefit. There's certainly an element of Detriment, she loses her, all the rights that were afforded to her by Aksuba. He has to stop. He doesn't have to provide for her food anymore and so on. And therefore, there's no way to give a... Reuven can't effect divorce by giving it to his friend Shimon on behalf of his wife unless the wife pre-authorized it. Okay? Now, with that in mind, the Mishnah says, Ha'omer ten get zele ishti. If a person says, give this wife... Excuse me, give this get to my wife. And he puts the get... Reuven puts the get in the hand of Shimon. Or similarly, ushtar shichrur ze la'avdi, 
Or if a person gives a um, document, a bill of emancipation, Reuven gives to Shimon and says, give this to my slave, the, the Evid Kanani, that's his writ of emancipation, so he can go free. So then, Rameer holds in both cases, if Reuven decides that he has a change of heart and wants to get the bill of divorce or of uh, emancipation back, he can take it back, which is another way of saying the fact that Shimon received it in his hand doesn't automatically make it now the intended recipients because this is not an element, this is not, not totally to the person's benefit. So Rabbi Mayer holds that even one's freedom that is granted to a slave is not totally to his benefit because uh, while he is in an Eved Kanani, he has a life of license in which he can sleep with all the other um, Shifcha Kananos, all the other non-Jewish slaves around, um, who, and that lifestyle is something that, uh, that appeals to him. As soon as he becomes a Mishtachrur, he becomes uh, emancipated, so then he now was a regular Jew, a convert, and he no longer can sleep around with those women. He has to, he has to uh, marry a regular Jewish woman and have a normal family. So he might not like that, and therefore, since that's a significant detriment, that would be considered to be a, 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 a issue of chav and shlobofanov, and therefore, even the would-be emancipated slave isn't freed just because Reuven gave the writ of emancipation to Levi in his behalf. No, he has to accept it, just like a woman who wouldn't want to be divorced against her will necessarily. He said, yes, it's true when it comes to, for divorce documents, you can't divorce a woman unless she authorized Shimon to receive the get in her bath. But not with the emancipation of slaves, because the principle is, you can benefit a person even without his consent, which um, is the case of the slave. The slave ever wants their freedom. And freedom is worth everything. So the fact that the slave can become free is a, certainly a benefit to him, unmitigated benefit. And therefore, as soon as Shimon accepts the writ of emancipation on behalf of Reuven's slave, the slave is free and there's no taking it back. The Chacham's opinion here totally discounts the issue of um, the license he has regarding the other Shifchas Kananos. They say that's not a material benefit in contrast to one's total freedom, autonomy, ability to set up a normal family, etc. So therefore they discount that as altogether being significant, and therefore they say it's a it's as full pure zechia. However, when it comes to the woman's divorce, ve'ein chavin lo ela b'fanav. You can't do something to a person's detriment to assign rights or transfer rights unless he gives his explicit com- um, authorization, consent, and the woman didn't authorize Shimon to receive her get in her behalf, and therefore he can't receive it on her behalf. Because um, if a person, maybe, if a person wants to not feed his slave, it's within his legal right. In contrast, if he doesn't want to provide for his wife food, he's not allowed to do that. In other words, the Chum see the issue, they totally discount the issue of the the. The, the debauchery life situation, they just say, listen, it's all a matter of providing for one's basic needs. The husband must provide for his wife's needs, and therefore she's losing a lot by getting divorced. Therefore, it's chavin. It's a detriment to her. However, when it comes to a slave, anyways, technically speaking, the owner of the slave need not, we're talking Evid Kanani here, uh, need not provide for his, you know, his food. He could tell the slave, you know, you go and go and, you know, 
go to collect from charity or something. It's not, it's not my problem to provide you the food. Figure it out yourself. And since that's the case, the slave anyways doesn't have any legal rights that he's losing when he becomes emancipated. So therefore, it's not a problem, says the Chachamim and the Halacha, really. Now, they're not done yet. Rabbi Meir isn't going to argue the point about the life of debauchery. He, isn't, he says, listen, even according to you, where we're talking about just, you know, food and basic sustenance. So, Amr Lahem says, Rabbi Meir, back to the Chachamim, Vaharei hu posel es avdom in hatruma. If the owner is a Kohen. So the rule is that since the owner of the Eved, the slave, he makes a kin in his nefesh, he owns him, he owns his person. So there, the Torah allows for the members of one's household as a Kohen, including his wife, his children, and his animals, and his slaves, to also eat truma, the gifts that go to the Kohen. Now, truma is available inexpensively in the markets. It's cheaper than regular food, because... There's lots of supply, not that much demand, relatively speaking. And that being the case, um, the Eved could have access to the called cheap food, which is no longer the case, because once he is um, emancipated, he's no longer part of the Cohen's household, and therefore he's no longer allowed to eat truma. So he's losing out on something. So Reb Meir says, listen, at least admit to me that regards to a Eved who's owned by a Cohen, that it's a Chavin, it's a it's a to his detriment to be emancipated, at least in a material way, and therefore he would need to authorize the receiving of the bill of emancipation for him to, to be divorced, to be um, emancipated. So they answer back. They don't. They uh, the Chum disagree. So um, maybe I didn't read that well. I'm sorry. Let me make sure I read, read the words of the mission properly. Amar Lehem, Rebbe says back to them. Harehu posel es avdom in hatruma, kashem shu posel es ishtal. The same way. Once a man divorces his wife, she no, and he's a Kohen, she no longer can eat truma as a divorcee. So to the Evid, can't eat truma anymore once uh, he is emancipated. So that's to his detriment. Amrulo, but the Chacham reject that. They say, They say, no. His ability to eat truma, that legal right that he has, has nothing to do with being an Evid, per se. It has to do with the fact that he is the possession of the Kohen. And that being the case, the Cohen, you know, for any time you wanted to, even if, even if the Evid ran away, he could just, he could say, listen, Evid, I'm selling you, you know, for 50 cents to my next door neighbor, the non-Cohen, and now you're still an Evid, and now you can't eat Truma. So the point is, his ability to eat Truma is not part of being free or not free, it's a matter of just being part of the Cohen's household, which itself is a separate issue. And therefore, said so the Chachamim, even for a Cohen, it's pure benefit for his Evid to be um, emancipated, and therefore, as soon as the owner of the Evid gives to get Shechrur, the emancipation document, to anybody else to, on his behalf, on the Evid's behalf. So then the Evid is automatically emancipated, and the owner cannot take it back. And that will be the halacha, that for women you you could take it back because they're not divorced, but for an Evid, it's all benefit, and therefore there's a way to take it back. As soon as you give it to another person, the Evid becomes totally free. Now, a new topic altogether, really. Um, this topic really is revolving around the issue of of the matna shchiv meirah, which is which means we learned it back in Peah. It's the gift. It's a rabbinic enactment that says I'm not going to translate yet. It's a rabbinic enactment that says if a person is on his deathbed and he wants to settle his financial affairs, so we made a special dispensation for him, a special leniency. Usually, when it comes to transferring things. Um, rights, objects, whatever it is. So there needs to be a Misa Kenyan. It needs to be some act which effects the transfer. So meaning if I'm giving you 
my pen, I can't just say the pen is yours. You have to pick it up to acquire the pen. I can't just tell you my field is yours. You have to receive a document that says it's yours and so on. So words alone, just an oral commitment, don't have any, in any case, effect kinyanam, don't make transactions, don't effect transfers, and therefore they're not really binding. So under normal circumstances, if I say, I'm giving my pen to you, but, but you don't pick it up, and then I die, so then the rightful owner of the pen are my heirs and not you, even though I said it in front of them. It doesn't matter because you didn't acquire it yet. Notwithstanding that, the rabbis made this leniency for what's called the shchiv meira, a person who is literally um, lying down for bad things. Uh, it means a person on his deathbed. And the thought was that if a person feels that he hasn't sorted out his financial affairs, um, and now he's you know on his deathbed, so he's going to be very upset by that. And the upset he has by not being able to sort his affairs out is going to expedite his death. He'll die sooner. And therefore, because of his upsetness, and therefore, in order to allay those concerns, we tell a person, and we, it's, it's halakhli binding, that the verbal, the, the oral statement of a shchiv meiras, one on their deathbed, who thinks they're on their deathbed, presuming that, assuming that they're pres- provided that, they're giving something based on the fact that they think they're dying. So that will be as if it was written down and handed over. It means it's actually binding. Um, so that will put a person who's on his deathbed's mind at ease. So now, um, that means that if at my deathbed I say, oh, I forgot to give the pen I promised my nephew to him, please make sure he gets it, I'm giving it to him now, um, and then I die. So then, upon my death, and this is really the mechanism, the mechanism is it becomes part of the Yerusha. So when I die, the pen now goes over to my nephew and not to my son. Because that's the rabbinic enactment of the Matna Shechiv Meirah. Um, important to know, it has to be that, I'm, that the person who's doing the gifting is motivated by the fact that he's dying, not just that, oh, I forgot it's my son's, my nephew's birthday today, I didn't send him a present. That wouldn't be good enough. So the sugi there in, in, in pay, if you recall, is if a person um, doesn't explicitly say he's giving it because he's dying, and then he only gives some things but retains other things, then we don't know if he was doing it because he was dying or just because he wanted to give some gifts away. Um, in contrast, if a person gave everything away, so then we could anyways have a presumption that he was acting because he was about to die, and therefore his oral statements will be binding as if they were written um, and handed over. Now, um, since the mechanism is, it's as if it's written down and passes through a Yerusha, so it only takes effect after the Shechiv actually dies. So if he doesn't die, he could say, you know what, I changed my mind, I want to take my pen back, and he would get it back. It's only binding upon death and passes Yerusha. So similarly now, when it comes to, let's say, giving a get. So if I say, give my wife a get, um, but I say it just verbally, and I don't hand it over to anybody, so since the mechanism of the Shechid only works um, by uh, through Yerusha, once I'm dead, my wife is already a widow. And now there's no way to give it after I die. You can't even make sure there's even the Shlichot doesn't work after a person insists, you know, instructs his agent to act once he's dead. Same goes with the slave. I want to give my slave his freedom, but only pass it to him after I die through Yerusha. That's not going to help anything because once I'm dead, the slave now automatically passes to my heirs, and therefore he can't receive this uh, this uh, bill of emancipation. Okay, so that's the Mishnah's point over here, which says as follows. Ha'omer. If a person on his deathbed says, Tenu get ishti. Now notice here, unlike the first case where it said ten, singular, ten get ishti, give this get, which understanding is 
saying acquired on her behalf. But here, Tanu, talking to lots of people, there's no get being handed over. It's saying, I'm telling people, write a get for my wife. But there's no actual get being handed over now. And that's important for the next part of the, of the Mishnah. So then, if it, or if a person says, Ushtar shichrur ze la'avdi, or give a bill of emancipation to my slave. So since um, everyone's going to agree now, um, even the Chachamim, that since there's no actual handing over of a contract, it's just, a, it's just an oral statement, so then it's not going to be binding because it would pass on after effective only once he dies, and once he dies, it's too late to now grant the slave who's been now um, inherited by the children his freedom. So Vemes, if that person dies, lo yitnu la'achar misa. It's too late, and um, neither the get nor the uh, get shechrur is given um, after death, which would mean just, for example, let's say the person's on a deathbed, and he says, oh my goodness, I have no children, my poor wife's going to fall to my terrible brother, and for Yibum, I don't want that, please give her a get now. And then he dies. So our mission is saying, well, too bad, she's dying as a widow, not as a divorcee, and therefore she'd fall, fall to Yibum and can't remarry until um, she does Yibum or Chalitza with, with the brother. In contrast, if a person says, tenu mane ish ploni, a person on his deathbed says, Please give a hundred, you know, silver coins to so and so. The mace, and then he dies. Yitnu la'achar misa. So then, assuming it conformed to the rules of matna shchidmara, the gifts that are given from a person on his deathbed, so it's carried out. And after the person dies, and only then, um, are those hundred coins given to the person who he named, and not to his heirs.